Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, always good to be here with you back in the Dharma studio. And we've been talking a bit about what works. And maybe the subtitle of this is From Burkas to Bikinis. And it's a nod to different styles, different types of cultures, different relationships. Often we have a certain conception of what it means to to live in a healthy, productive way. And certainly at Dharma, we get people who end up adopting a certain life philosophy. But there are a lot of different ways to exist. And we see that. I was thinking about a conversation I had with a friend of mine who's from Afghanistan. And he talks about how people there, they don't really want to be Western. They just want to do their thing. They want to live by Sharia law. They're content being backwards or what we would call backwards. And they're cool with that. So that's that's something that maybe is very difficult for us to wrap our heads around. But it works for them. They can live their life, do their thing, be part of their community. We see this also individually and relationships. uh, Often this concept comes up where from the outside, certain relationships might seem dysfunctional. And in fact, I've been spending time with my family this week. And some of the comments that I've gotten about my own relationship with my wife is, wow, it's surprising that it works out (laughs) because it just seems from the outside at times to be volatile and it seems like we're so different and we hash things out in a way that at times makes the rest of my family uncomfortable, but it works for us. And my sister, in fact, was saying, you know, it's really incredible because it's not something that I would expect to work, but I look at you and you've got this very strong relationship and whatever you're doing is working. So can't figure it out, but more power to you. Uh, We talked a bit offline about people in relationships that are abusive. Or maybe it's not even physical abuse, but people just screaming at each other all the time. There's drama. There's what seems like a lot of pain. And you look at this and you just think, how the hell are you in this? Or why would you want to be part of this? But it works. It serves some purpose. And it might not be a purpose that we understand, but maybe there's a sense of duty. Maybe there's a sense of obligation. Maybe there's a sense of drama, uh, like this is my fate or I'm here to save this other person. Or this is just my sacrifice that I have to endure as whatever a struggle I'm going through in life. And there's some spiritual aspect to it. So they're all different models for how we can live. And when I think about this, it ties into a conversation we had a few weeks ago, which we got some interesting feedback on. This concept of how it's very hard to help other people. We can help when they're ready to change. And if they're coming and looking for help, sure, we can provide some perspective. But most of the time when we think about helping people, we're really looking to impose our values on a situation that we don't fully understand with people who may not share the same values, who may have a dynamic that's different from our dynamic, but it's something that works for them. So in a sense, this is a continuation of of that conversation. Can we really understand what it means for something to work? And there are a couple of parts of this, Z. Part number one is just in our own minds and our own hearts, can we accept that there is a broad range of humanity, that people look different ways, they operate in different ways, and just 
through that acceptance, I think it creates a certain amount of calm. You know, we're not out mentally fighting the world. We're not trying to mold everything in our image. So just having that level of acceptance brings a lot of peace. It brings some understanding. It brings some clarity because then we're more open-minded and we can understand why people do the things that they do. Maybe we learn something that we weren't aware of before. So that's part of this conversation. The other part of it, which I think would be very useful for our, our audience as we flesh this out, are there metrics that we can look at in our own lives to say, is my situation working? Whether it's my job, whether it's my health, whether it's my relationship. And it's not the conventional metrics. A lot of times when people evaluate whether they're doing something or they're headed in the right direction, it's looking around and, and comparing yourself to other people and saying, yeah, maybe my job's not working because I'm making as much money as someone else. But is that the right standard? You know, if that money doesn't do anything for us or if the cost of that money is that we're anxious and we're depressed all the time, then maybe that's not the right standard. So I really want to get in as we work our way into this conversation. What does it mean for something to work and how do we evaluate whether our situation is working in life? And if we have that checklist, then if something is getting off track, we can take some corrective action. So why don't we start there? Z, just share some of your thoughts. I mean, we're having some interesting discussions about all kinds of relationships, all kinds of situations. What have you seen that might shock people where there are situations that we might think, my God, this is dysfunctional, but it's something that still works for the people who are involved? Ben, when we talk about what works, I say that in, in, a, in the broader sense of humanity that us as opt-outs or people that try to think, we want to be able to be clear of the, 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 the nature of imposing ourselves on other people, like the Texas flag, don't tread on me. And in order to do that, we have to first come to an understanding within ourselves of what we're observing, right? <coughs> Excuse me. And I like to use simple equations and math and physics theorems such as Bohl's Law of Thermodynamics. And in short, Bohl's Law deals with a thermal exchange. And it says, in layperson's term, everything costs something. So whenever you're dealing with the commerce of exchange, you don't want to be depleted in your acquisition or in your exchange of energy. So when I say if something works, can you maintain it? Does it give you energy or does it take more energy out of you than you get back out of it? If you can maintain it and it gives you energy, it's working. If it is diminishing and declining, it is unsustainable. But also you look at a factor of time. Does that happen over seconds or years? Many years ago, I remember uh, lessons from my mom, which were really wrong. My mom was a strong feminist, very strong militant feminist. She started uh, many women's organizations, and her underlying theme was that inevitably men are screw-ups. Usually it's a man's fault, whatever it is. And that was based on her own interpretation of life. But as an early age, she really instilled that in me, where I was almost afraid to show any assertiveness towards any woman. It took me a long time to figure out the whole dating thing. And it was very shocking to me once I began having relationships and how that was so different than what my mother had told me. Um, I was a nice guy, passive in a sense. 
And women would tell me, ah, you know what, you don't really, you're not forceful. I looked at you, you're big and strong. I thought you would donkey punch me and just, you know, take what you wanted from me. I, I can't do that. I can't force myself on you. Well, you're weak. Because in the, in the archetype of men and the, the models that they were used to, what worked for them was an assertive man who took charge, who took away agency from them, and directed them where they wanted to be. That gave them certainty. They felt love. They felt uh, attracted by that. And so it was completely in opposition of everything my mother told me. That nice guy thing was me, but it didn't work in terms of, you know, where it counted in dating and getting sex and stuff. I was just, it was, I was a late bloomer in that way. So I started to listen and observe. And, and, and a lot of the stuff was shocking. The amount of domestic tension that was normal for most people. The behavior, the intimate congestion that people shared with one another was very disturbing for me. Because in my idea, I had a model of what harmonious interactions would be. What would harmonious give and take? What would equanimity of temperament be? Without considering that everybody has a different work scale, a different uh, way of exchanging that thermodynamic. What gave them energy? For some people, friction warmed them up and gave them passion. People would talk about makeup sex. Oh, we had this big fight. We were yelling, screaming. I hit him with a skillet, he kicked me down the stairs, and we made up, and we had this passionate intimacy. Well, in my mind, I say, wow, if you hit me with a skillet or shoot at me, I'm going to either kill you and fight back and never be around you again in life. I don't ever want, and, and, and that affected relationships. And as bad as it sounds, let's be really honest. I know people that thrive in dysfunctional environments just thrive, right? J.J. is shaking his head. And it was always shocking for me because of the narrative and the doctrine that my mother instilled in me about doing everything you can to be appeasing and gentle with women, right? And I was getting no action. And when I and, and so I'm not saying that that's the norm. I'm just saying that when we look at what works, we have to be very fluid and very broad-minded in our gathering of that. In other areas that when you see coupling and you may be in your family, you see a dysfunctional couple, ask yourself, yeah, it's bad, but how long have they been together? Then ask yourself how many times that you've had wonderful romantic interludes that didn't last as long as these dysfunctional relationships did. You meet somebody, it's all happy, and as, as, as Caitlin and Pretty Tony displaying, they're constantly touching each other, they're licking each other's lollipops and feeding each other finger foods and all this kind of stuff. And so this is great, but then you see somebody who they don't speak, they barely say anything to each other, they grunt and groan like, like me and my wife, we just grunt, and, but it works. Been together a long time. So we all have to think about when we say what works. We look at that from an intimate point of view and we look at it from a societal point of view. And again, I hope that those people who are in an opt-out frame of mind will consider these uh, these solutions and challenges we're putting forth so that it helps us navigate our world. Um, when it comes to broader social issues, I think about schooling of my children, that it's not working for us because there is now an indoctrination of children in schools 
and I believe they're being over-sexualized. Am I a sexual prude? By no means. Do what you want to do, what you like, however you like, whoever you like. But it's your choice. But children are in the formative years. They don't have a prefrontal cortex, so we're already grooming them for certain ideologies. And that's what I've been seeing in school, and I think all parents that I've spoke to have shared with me that, wow, there's like a, I think they're picking up on sex stuff way earlier than we did. And I don't want to be the grumpy old man that's old back in the olden days we did this. No, we were, we were freaky then too. Um, but it came at a certain point in our life where we had a bit more awareness of self. And so a lot of parents are looking for creative ways of schooling their children to work on more academic things and basic learning skills because the school system isn't working for us. And then I was sharing the story about with all the discussions on transgender issues and all these kinds of things, um, what isn't working. I, I have a dear friend, Tony, and uh, Tony and his wife have two daughters. We discussed this offline, we'll share this with you. And they decided, the girls decided they had a passion for swimming. So as long as I've known Tony, over a decade now, they get up at the wee hours of the morning, I'm talking about four in the morning, they take the kids to swim practice, to swim meets, in addition to school. His whole life is centered around allowing his daughters to live out their passion to be great swimmers. It's just amazing to see. And when you think about parents' sacrifice, the, the sacrifice of love, what parents will do for their children. They are not turning this over to other people. They're not hiring outside folks to do it. They are on the road, trading off, juggling their business and making sure their kids can go swim. So these little girls are growing up to swim and then suddenly there's this new element where uh, people who were born boys at some point, uh, are, through the technology and modern society, they decide that they want to swim on the girls' team. And again, it's, it's a hard discussion because people, we hear one thing, but these boys get in the pool and they run circles around these girls. They don't run circles around other boys. They're relatively competitive or minor competitors. But because of the structure of the human being, they run circles around the girls in defying nature. We've overridden that. And I think about these parents that have sacrificed so much to allow these young ladies and young women to pursue their dream. It, it, it's really difficult to see. And again, it's hard to talk about because it's not that you're against anyone. I would say if we didn't have the technology, would we have these discussions? If we didn't have, again, it's a hypothetical, if we didn't have a world that was so easily misdirected, if we had so many that weren't grounded, would there be another way we would look to resolve this? Are there other models? I would say, yeah, in India they have the hedras, the third sex. They have their own thing, their own competition, their own whatever they're doing, right? They have their own fashion show. They do. Well, I mean, they're complete pariahs. Not they're really. totally different. No, not really. They go and they beg for the money. Things. They beg for money, and they threaten to reveal their genitalia unless you pay them off. 
Well, this happened that, to my grandmother. Is and that then she said, what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Is it just another way? And one of the problems is, is then when we get into the civilized, uncivilized, I think when, 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 when that, that reporter said that the people of Ukraine were civilized and the dark people of the world were uncivilized, I think we've bought into that. And what's wrong? In India, it's just very raw. It's in your face. It's big. Uh, when I see these uh, people um, who are competing against girls, who have all the physical advantages of boys and none of the liabilities of women. Again, this is something my mom taught me. What she went through to raise a child, women have periods, they have different muscle tone, they are able to bear a child and that bearing of the child doesn't allow them to have the same muscle mass as men. All the things that women go through, if you could replicate that, then it would be okay. Replicate what a woman goes through. And again, I'm not trying to be some kind of hero of women. I'm just telling you what I learned in life. Women go through a whole different thing than men physically. I remember my mother taking me to the movies as a child, just a trip to the movies. And she had to navigate a field of lecherous, creepy men who were doing all kind of weird stuff just so her kids could watch Bambi. Mother alone. No man ever has to go through that. So if that man grows up and say, I want to be a woman, he didn't go through all that. And all those things you go through make you who you are. It's like racism. You have no idea of what it is to go through racism. So when those congressmen and senators are talking about uh, whatever uh, critical race theory, they have no idea of what it's like to be in black skin in this culture. Every day, the things you learn to do to adapt, to survive, and let alone do it with dignity, there's a whole nother level. You can sacrifice your human dignity and manage your way through it just to get through the day. But being a human being isn't about just living your life and getting through the day. I've heard many people tell me, just give up your dignity and things will be easier. I don't know how to do that. My life, the ingredient in my life is dignity. That doesn't work for me. I have to, I'm okay with me. I like me. I like the people in my life. So I can't kowtow tap dance just to survive. Because living is more than surviving. So I've had many people tell me, just go along, just compromise yourself, just sub subjugate your dignity. And so when these people are complaining about all the anti-racism and all that, because they've never encountered it. So it's just like men complaining about uh, uh, women or these people saying that they just want to jump into women's sports with no idea of what it took for women to even compete with each other. My track coach, the great Willie White, I remember him fighting for, I think it's Title IX, so girls could get funding. And I remember people having strokes and heart attacks, working so hard so girls could get uniforms and get funding for their sports activity in high school. And then for somebody to just show up and say, you know what, I want to compete against girls. I'm not, I, I can't trivialize or elevate because I don't get it. I just think that it would be ideal there's, there's another path. Maybe they all compete in that category. XX chromosome or Y. Maybe we do it like horses where we have the Breeders' Cup. 
I don't know. If you're a breeder, you do this. If you're not a breeder, you do that. I don't know. But historically, we didn't allow people with unfair advantages in certain sports. JV, we had junior varsity. We had frost freshman, sophomore, junior varsity, and varsity teams. They didn't have the little freshman running against the JV on his way to college. There's no way to, that's not the metric we want to use in sports. But in life, there are things that, that, that work and don't work. And when I say what works, is it sustainable over time? So there's the equation of energy exchange where it crosses with time. When we talked about human relationships, how long can you beat your wife? Well, it's up to her. If you're beating your wife and you're in a domestic violence situation, for some people that work. I know people have had domestic violence in their life all their life. I've even dated women who said, if a guy doesn't slap me around, I'm not really, I don't think he loves me. Well, you know what? That doesn't work for me. But it worked for her, so she went and found somebody that would donkey punch on a regular basis and slap her around. And I found somebody that just like, just we just get along. You know? So everybody finds what works for them. But I don't want to be the person that tells you what works for you. The only way that I would speak or affect, be affected by that if it imposed upon my life. So when people have life callings or life urges that impose upon the common, I believe that is unworkable. And there will be a rebounding and negative rebounding effect. You can't go and bomb countries that didn't do anything to you and expect for you to live a comfortable life. Yeah, but you look at that as an example. This worked for 600 years. You talk about the element of time. Well, I think it has. So I don't know if people picked that up. Jante was questioning whether it has worked for that amount of time. It's evolved. I mean, certainly the systems are different. We don't have slavery today. But we do have this this neoliberal order that people talk about. You've got extreme wealth disparities. I remember looking at wealth disparity 20 years ago and thinking, how is this sustainable? And since then, it's just gotten worse. It's gotten and worse much and worse, worse, yeah. But we also, we, we stand back and we, we can do projections. We can do, um, we can do mathematical projections and see the challenges we have. Our planet is sweating. We know that. In my lifetime, we're back on the brink of a nuclear war. And I remember going into the, you know, the annals of my mind, all the nuclear drills. There used to be nuclear bomb shelters all over. They used to have big sirens on telephone poles. And every now and then it would go, Boo! and it would just be, this is a test. The television would black out and say, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. And that's gone away. You guys have lived your whole life never even seeing any of that. And now it's back. But it's back in a different way. It's back in a different way that you have a level of disconnect that maybe has existed, but I've never seen it. That there is no common ground. That doesn't work. Because the average person is now adversely affected. Oil prices are untenable for working people right now. For the average working person, what I mean the average working for, the lumpkin proletariat, as they used to say in the uh, studies of communism and socialism, the lumpkin proletariat, just the not thinking, not intellectual, just doing their job every day, 
and trying to get by and make it for the weekend so his weekends were made for Michelob and they just want to do their day. They're suffering. When that group of suffering people suffer, that is when a society is in its most fragile moment. People can't afford $6 a gallon gas. They can't. They really can't. Not without their wages going up, but the wages can't go up if there's no common demand. They're not buying stuff. This isn't working. Again, we talked about Bowles' law of thermodynamics. How much energy goes in and how much comes out. Then they say, you know, we want to send 14 billion to Ukraine. Well, they never asked those people. They never asked those people, is it their 14 billion? Whose 14 billion is it? But the Lumpkin proletariat isn't highly intellectual. They're just feeling the day out every day. They're just going through the motions. They're just working, and that works for them. When they can't work, the system stops working. So now they say, oh, you know what? We're going to give you everybody $100 a month. So where's that money coming from? And see, the thing is, is for the average person, most of us listening to this are slightly above average in terms of income or liability or whatever. But it's not sustainable because when you take the floor out of something, the next floor falls down. Those people are the floor of society. And so now we have so, we're so disconnected and lost, it is unworkable. It was workable before, even though it was dysfunctional. It's like a bad relationship. Uh, hatred, racism, all that worked to a function because there was some sort of mutual exchange and there was a little resistance. We can take it, we tolerate it, but it's getting, it's getting to the point where it's not working anymore. It's like that marriage is about to end. That abusive marriage is coming to an end. And we all know divorce is the worst time. When it finally ends, you thought, it, you thought the marriage was bad. The divorce is always worse. So we're going to have to go this. We've worked it as long as we can. It's not working anymore. There's going to be the divorce, social divorce, and then the rebuild. Right? So our topic is what works. What does that mean for something to work? Well, on an individual level, it can mean many different things. You look at people. You walk down the street. You people watch. And you see different relationships. You wonder, how the hell does that work? Right? For me, I'm, I'm a health nut. So I see really unhealthy people walking down the street. I, how does that even work? How does that work? How does just you, you, you're just so unhealthy. You're pushing her in a wheelchair and. You guys got a McDonald's six-pack and a, a deluxe Jackie burger or something. And how does that work? Where is I, couldn't, I can't even imagine. But you know, they've been together since they met in dialysis, and they're doing fine. They're happy as shit. Here I am, healthy and sharp and miserable. So we all have to think about what works on an intimate level and then what works in a societal level. And when you look at society... It helps us understand so when, when, when the bridges fall, when there is that decline, how do we navigate through that? We know that there is a great potential for there to be a nuclear event within the next six months. That will affect the air we breathe. That will affect us here. To what degree? I don't know. But we know the way it's working isn't sustainable.
this divisiveness, this left versus right phenomena in the U.S., this no middle path consciousness, it isn't sustainable. Thus, it's working, but it's not workable. It's a damaged vehicle that we're trying to drive until it shuts down. We're looking at the, the fuel gauge as that empty and the lights flashing, and we're on a hope and a prayer we think we can make it to our destination. That's not working. It's working, but it's not working, meaning that there's no sustainability. And I want us to think about ways of being, thinking, and living that actually work and have sustainability over the time quadrant that we look at called life. Sitting on your ass all day works, but it's not sustainable because each day you decline. They talked about the whole COVID thing that used to exist. Remember that before the war? There was this thing called COVID and then the war started. And I think after the war, there may be a, a pestilence. I, I heard a bug. There's some insect that's supposed to, a boll weevil. If you heard that, the boll weevils this summer will attack us like never before. You guys heard about that, the boll weevils? They're supposed to come and it's going to be a weevil attack. So we're going to, that, that'll, then maybe the war stop and we just worry about the boll weevils. To be clear, the scientists are actually still paying attention to COVID. No one else is. Well, they don't count. They're just smart idiots. They're just smart. Who wants to listen to smart people when we can listen to Ted Cruz? So, anyway, they said that 78% of the people that died were clinically obese. Yeah. So, being unhealthy isn't sustainable. It works, but it's not sustainable. So when you guys come up with your work equation, add the time equation to it. How long can you do it? Like I started by saying, you can beat your wife, but how long can you beat her before she uh, retaliates? Maybe she won't. It's a gamble. Roll of a dice, or maybe it's a scientific calculation. How long can you let your health decline, get various shots, vaccinations, various brews, incarnations done, to support that, not working. But you want to see how long does it work. Again, it's just like John Tay driving his beat-up hoopty around. Needs a small part, but he's going to drive. He says, hey, it's making a weird noise. This turns kind of funny. Well, he can get it fixed now, and it keeps working. Yeah, he said it just started. That's what they said about COVID. Remember that? Just started. What did they say about the war? Just started. Next thing you know, sun's gone. Okay, so let's fix it now. Let's fix it now. Yeah. Yeah, see, they're laughing, laughing all the way through the Like the Romans, aren't they? Laughing at the vomitorium until the end of the society collapsed. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you've got a pretty pessimistic view. You're on the other extreme. Oh, you think so? Yeah. What do folks think? Is Z being too pessimistic? Let's go for it. I tend to be a happy, optimistic guy. Z, you, you lost your wallet for all of five minutes, and you were about to cancel every credit card, call the DMV. <laughs> well, look, I, I'm preemptive, okay? I believe in preemptive, and, and, and I like to take action. Yeah. Well, well, why don't we do this? Let's move away from 
the nuclear war threats and, and COVID, which we can't do anything about. Okay. Let's bring this back to the individual, which is Broke. what we're always talking Broke. about. What do we do? So I like the way you put this idea of whether something works. It's an energy exchange. Even if you are spending more energy than is coming back, that might work for a period of time. So there's the time element as well. And there's also some optionality. I mean, it could be that things, you can sustain something which is depleting you for a period of time if that's a bridge to somewhere else. So maybe it works provisionally and you're okay with that because you're moving on to a better situation. I want to get into this other word that you used, which is dysfunctional. Because sometimes it seems like in your mind, Z, as we're talking about this, there's a difference between working and being dysfunctional. And there's one story you've told which comes to my mind about some couple you knew. You can fill in the details. I might be getting these wrong. But this woman and this man, they were in their 80s or 90s. And they just were fighting every single day. Or maybe the woman was fighting. And you sat down with her and you asked her what the problem was. And she said something like, he cheated on me. In 72. And, yeah, yeah, in 72, right? So 50 years ago. So by our definition, that's something that works because they've been together for 50 years. Sounds pretty dysfunctional. How do you think about dysfunctional versus working? And what is our standard? I mean, if we can be in a situation that works that we can sustain for 50 years, if it's dysfunctional, that doesn't mean that we should do it. So how do we maybe augment this concept of work can we do better than something just working? I mean, if we're looking at our lives, again, what is the test for, is this a situation that we want to be in? Again, Vin, this is where we have to be careful, is to step away and live and let live, not interfere. We have to be like the Starfleet with the, in Star Trek, they said they want to explore strange new worlds, new civilizations, and just kind of chronicle what's out there without interfering. Because you also want to use those examples of dysfunction so it guides you away from dysfunction so you can have a much more functional life because we need references because sometimes we can't be our own registers yeah, you no, need outside metrics what is what does dysfunction mean well dysfunction it, it can mean many things so it's it's not to function and it doesn't mean it doesn't work it is not functioning as advertised or optimally and some people they their life is such that they look at it as they they put the fun in dysfunctional and so as I told the story, there was a woman who would come in miserable every day uh, at my other office, and she told me this just horror story that made me nauseous, that her and her husband fought every night from about 10 in the evening to about 2 in the morning over an affair he had in 1972. And I was like, my God, now they're in their 80s, he's an invalid, she's near that. But they never left each other. So I look at couples that don't go through any of that, and they just couldn't take it. Maybe one of them did something or lost their job. I've heard people lost their job, and they bail out. I knew a guy had an injury at work, hurt his back. His wife said, I didn't sign up for this, and left him. You know, And so everybody has a different idea of life. And for some people, the dysfunction is what colors their life. It gives their life character. It's like a gangster limp, or it's like a, a quirk, or a, a lisp, or an accent, or a stutter. It gives them character. Yeah. And so we have to be able to identify that so we don't find ourselves dragged into that 
and normalizing something that isn't holistic in our lives. So kids who are raised around families and couples that fight and do domestic violence are more than likely to do that in their life. We know that, right? Your children will pair that. And then that will lead them down a path where their life is a bit more distracted and they're not really being as creative or as living as healthy as they could. Um, and we see that as examples. We see our society as a whole has been dysfunctional for a long time. And as, as, as we move back to function, you see there's an uproar. There's just a complete uproar. When people say, hey, let's have a, 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 a society that's less racist, more people are upset about anti-racism than racism. They're upset about anti-racism. The term isn't even applied anymore. People are now using the term in such loose ways. The dysfunction is so bizarre. All because somebody said, hey, maybe we shouldn't beat each other all the time. That's like getting in the middle of a domestic dispute. You try to pull the husband off the wife, the wife stabs you. So this country and the world is going through something like that. But for those of us who are opting out and want to observe this, we say, you know, I would like to live this short existence in a more harmonious way, following the Tao, being in tune with nature, having <clears throat> a lesser amount of conflict, um, as I move through life. <clears throat> life is hard enough. I've always said that. So you don't need to invite problems into your life unless you have some emotional or psychological problems that have numbed you. So you want to do things like they do on the Jackass TV show. Uh, Pretty Tony and, and uh, Jante love Jackass, right? They want to run into walls or eat glass or slide down a razor blade on their back or beat their testicles with a mallet. They think because this guy does this because he doesn't feel anything. He doesn't feel life. That's where I mentioned I saw a sadhu in India who just sat and meditated under a tree and was just tickled as hell to watch a rose blossom. If I looked at models of the world, would I want to be like the jackass guy or would I want to be the sadhu under the tree? I'd rather be the sadhu under the tree or something closer to that, right? Because this life to me is sweet. I feel everything. I feel the bitter. I feel the sweet. I feel the harsh. I feel the smooth. And it's giving me a much more color in my life. I'm not saying everybody has to speak for themselves. But hey, if you want to uh, jump off the Empire State Building to a paper sack or look up a camel's ass, get the hump ass back or something like that, knock yourself out. I want to experience just the sweetness of life. And for those of us who are opting out, I think we're kind of on the same page. You want to get through your day with the least amount of negativity and drama as you can. Because whatever you do, it costs you time. Every day, we run out of time. So how did you want to spend your time? In conflict, in chaos, is that working for you? Or is harmony, evolution, self-development, is that working for you? What's working for you? And that's really what we're presenting. We're not telling anybody, but I'm putting stark examples of what's not working and what's working for me. Now, you want to decide that for you. And for those of us who want to live a longer, healthier life, when I say long life, it may not be the numbers of years, but it is the quality of life. I meet many people who are my age that have a poor quality of life and younger than me. 
I've met people older than me that have a very high quality of life. What I've learned, they found things that not only work for them, but they are in harmony with the way of nature. There are people that can limp through this life in a dysfunctional, ragged, squeaky, broken down way. And their life is harder and less enjoyable. We see the state of things in the politics of the world. It's just horrific. And anybody who loves life would reject being a part of that. So when we think about what works, each person take notes on yourself. Does anger and hate work for you? And for some people, it does. They feel alive. They're like the jackass guy. They feel alive. They want to lick razor blades. That burning sensation of their ripped tongue makes them feel they're here. That slap in the face, right? That amyl nitrate up the nose wakes them up. I don't need all that. I don't need any of that. What do you need? You're asking me what I need? Yeah, hey, all of us. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when you talk about functional versus dysfunctional. When I hear this, I think about investing. Because dysfunctional, I like that definition you have. Does it work as advertised? Because a lot of times things serve a different purpose from what we think they serve. And I look at investing. I look at the talking heads on CNBC. And the advertisement is, if you pay attention to this, you can make money. You can be a smart investor. You can buy Bitcoin at the right time. You can sell Russian rubles. You can be like George Soros and you can have this incredible wealth or this ability to to make as much money as you want. That's the advertisement. Now, that clearly doesn't work. There are decades of evidence. I mean, more than decades, probably centuries of evidence going back to the 1600s about how this hype doesn't serve anyone except the promoters who were getting in at the beginning and selling their stuff to, to someone else once they've hyped it up and jacked up this, the price. So anyone who's really seriously interested in making money would ignore all this noise. And in fact, this noise is an impediment to making money because it makes you anxious and you start second guessing yourself and you make all these bad decisions. So with minimal amount of reflection or analysis, if you said my objective is to make money, you would opt out of all of this. So then the question is, what, <laughs> but then the question is, why do people do it? Why, why do you spend all this time? And it's because it serves a different purpose. It does serve a purpose. That's what I've realized. It's entertainment. Mm. It's an illusion that you are playing this three-dimensional chess game and you understand how politics intersects with economics and finance. It gives you something to talk about at cocktail parties and you talk about how you bought Tesla at the right time or you bought Apple or you shorted Peloton or whatever the hell you did. So it is a different purpose. And it does, it, there is a function that it serves. Mm -hmm. It's just not the function that people think they're signing up for. So when we get into this, it's really interesting because as we're talking about what works versus what is functional, in a sense, it's almost like anything that works is functional. It's just not necessarily the function that you think it is. And having that awareness becomes important because then you can step back and say, okay, I'm doing this. Let me be clear on why I'm doing this and what it is giving me. And if it's serving some kind of weird pathological need that I have, I mean, maybe I'm in a relationship and 
I like getting beat all the time because I hate myself and that's some kind of punishment. Okay, that, that works for me, but is that really how I want to live? And if I understand that, maybe I can deal with the actual problem. And I can get to that better place. It can be more like that sadhu instead of like the, the jackass. Mm-hmm. So where I would come out of this, just hearing you talk about it, Z, and, and reflecting as we're discussing, is working as a baseline condition. I mean, we need to make sure that we're in situations that are sustainable. But beyond that, we can also ask ourselves, what is the function of this? What am I getting out of it? And if we have that awareness, then we have the opportunity to correct and maybe live that better life and get beyond something that just works to something that enriches, that really makes us feel alive, that, you know, we're not just going through the motions. Wow, Vin, that's a, such a good point and, and a good take on everything. And, and immediately when you said that, I got excited because you think about being honest with yourself, which, is, which, which takes a tremendous amount of courage which we are another thing that we're lacking in this moment we live in societally. Be honest with yourself. So if you're a raving alcoholic, say it. Isn't that what they tell the people? Just go on and admit that you're an alcoholic or a drug addict or that you're a sadomasochist or a masochist or whatever you are. Own it. And the minute you own it, you can then manage the dysfunction or the debris, or the collaterals that go along with that dysfunction. Because if you are in an abusive relationship and you feel at home in that abusive relationship, it's only abusive because you're denying you enjoy it. It's only abusive because you're denying. But if you could say you like it, you could then join a BDMSM club, or is that what they call John Tay knows. What is it called? So John Tay, they know all the acronyms. But whatever it is, a place where you go and you guys beat each other up, or you, you, you accept that, and, and you're very happy with that. And now you're no longer an abusive relationship. You're in a modern, uh, whatever, you know, upscale kind of new age relationship. It, the, nothing changed but the titling and the narrative. And that's okay. So when you're in, in a death cult of some kinds and you feel really weird and you're hiding it, it's like people who hide their political affiliations and they claim, oh, we don't want to get canceled. No, you don't care. Just going, I would love people to do it just to admit, look, I'm a neo-Nazi and I love it. I, I, I have my Hitler memorabilia at home. Uh, I, I, I think I'm indifferent to the plight of people of color. I think they should all be gassed. Say it. Free yourself. Unburden yourself. Yeah. Then you go from a level of you could then manage it. It's just the weight of managing the dysfunction because you don't identify it as such as problematic. Yeah, once you state it, then you've got a choice. Do I want to own this or not? That's right. So for all of us opt out, do your homework and meditate on that and just own yourself. And if you have uh, within a relationship, you know, I was talking to my wife and, and, you know, every now and then we talk, usually she talks and I just listen. And what I found is, as I've matured, in order to have a healthy relationship, everybody has a dynamic. My wife's controlling, talks a lot. I just let her talk a lot. I don't listen to everything she says because men do not have the capacity to hear everything women say. Okay, so <clears throat> this is scientific. Caitlin's laughing because she's in that mixed up generation where there is this idea of, of, of trans and transvestite, whatever. What? I, I don't know what it's called, but, but they, no, they have words I don't understand and acronyms and. Sistine Junior, there's something to do with Sistine Chapel, I heard that. But 
I guess they people who have a fetish for the Sistine Chapel, they call it cisgender. I don't even know what that means, but I thought it had something to do with the Sistine Chapel. I think you're cisgender. I don't know what that means. I don't want to know. I have a limited bandwidth. I'm just a dude, okay? And so anyway, it is scientific proof that a man's mind can only process one-third of what a woman says in a day. See, men and women are different. Even if I get my pee-pee cut off, I still can only process one-third of what a woman says in a day. Even if they inject me with hormones, my brain can only process one-third of what women say. Women have a different complex algorithm because they have to gestate human life. They have to carry a parasite for nine months. Jante and them, see, they're so creepy, this generation. I'm not saying anything bad. I got four parasites. No, I've been saying it, that infants are parasites. Yeah, yeah, they, they drink in the mama's blood. In order to do that, a woman needs a different kind of computer than a man has. A completely different kind of computer. What's the different computers they got out now? It's, an, it's, it's Nintendo versus VR thing, right? It's that different. What do you call that? What's the difference? The little thing versus the thing on your head. They're completely different. Completely different. That's the way men and women are. Okay? So when we understand that, but see, the initial thing, everybody's shocked by it and feel uncomfortable. But there's nothing we could do about the physics of our known universe. For human beings to replicate our species, women and men and women are made different. So my point being is my wife will be talking to me. She just says so much stuff in my mind. Just, eh. So I learned to just filter and buffer. I just listen for the highlights. And then I ask her again, what did you want me to do? She said, I just told you. That's okay. I can do two of those things, but what are the other ten things you told me to do? Then she'll tell me again. Every day, doesn't she, Caitlin? Every day she tells me the same thing. And it sounds brand new. No, Caitlin, she knows she manages it. Right, Caitlin? Tell the truth. Every day, you guys have to tell me the same thing, where to go and where to be, right? Yes. And I have a great memory, but not for that stuff. It's, it's very true. He, he, he would, he's a chicken without his head. I can remember the theme song to Petticoat Junction, but I can't remember what my wife told me to do an hour ago because she tells me too much stuff. But I accept it. I surrender to that. And it's, and it's very harmonious. Okay, it's very harmonious. It's real easy. It's, it's very low energy. So they can call me a dullard. Men are stupid. Men are, I don't mind. I'm okay with that. I know what I know. I don't know what they know. Okay? So if we accept that, we get along. We flow better. And I was talking to my wife about this idea of how we, we have different things in our life that we respond to and that the anxiety variable is there. So I told my wife, it's real simple. As long as I get sex on a regular basis, you don't have to cook, clean, I don't care what you do. And somebody says, you're so shallow. You're so shallow. No, I'm even shallower than that. I, I'm just simple and clear. And, you know, we get along. Well, you see, when, when we don't get along, what's happening when me and my wife don't get along, Caitlin? What's happening? You guys don't talk. Right, because what's not happening? Because you're not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even talk. I go, I go mute. I become a mute. I become a savant. 
and it's miserable. And some people say, oh, that's so shallow. No, because it represents other things to me. To different people, it represents the connection, because what it represents to me, when you don't have time and you're doing all these other things, you're prioritizing other things. The sex is a symbolic, it's a Buddha head. That's all it is. That ain't Buddha, it's the Buddha head. It represents something. You know what I mean, Vin. It represents, you know what I mean. It represents the idea that, you know what, you're important to me. That's what you call your sexual activities? The Buddha head? <laughs> that, that, that's a new one. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can try that. But only your perverted self <laughs> would take the holy Buddha to that place. I'm using that as example. Okay, I'm using that. It's an archetype. It's an icon. Right, That's the, sorry, it, my mistake. Yeah, you're sick confused. and, and, and you're, you're, you're perverse, but I love you anyway. So my point being with that is when you understand yourself, you accept yourself, you know what works for you, you also know what doesn't work. And it's often very simple. But you have to be honest with yourself. It has to be very simple. And you can't do what we experience here, our reaction, our reflex, because we live in a world that we have so many out, outside influences trying to govern our thinking and behavior, we don't always know ourselves. So it's, it's almost uncomfortable to say what we just said, but it's from the heart and it's my truth and it's your truth. You get what I'm saying, Ken? It's like, you know what I mean, Pretty Tony, right? Yeah. It's like, it's hard because we live in a world where you, as you have, you have to mask the truth. But you can openly be deceptive, and you can openly lie, and you can openly deceive people. Look at these politicians as they go through their charade. It's sickening. But if you told the truth, you'd have to hide and whisper it anonymously or through some conduit or some proxy. Right? So it, even us sitting here striving for enlightenment, we find this a little bit uncomfortable. But for us opt-outs, it's a lesson, and I want to push that envelope. Because inevitably, you live and die on your own. You're born butt-naked and alone, and somebody decides you're worthy to be loved, and they pick your ass up. You're going to die naked and alone, and people want to get rid of your rotten corpse. In between that, we have life. So what is it that we're so uncomfortable with being honest with ourselves? What works for you? And it may not work for me be it emotionally, socially, politically, intimately, or whatever, but own yourself, and then with the ownership of self, you can direct yourself. Drive your car. Drive yourself. Guide yourself. Save yourself. And if you do that, when you're honest, you can do that. But when you're lying, you have to manage, or when you're deceptive, you have to manage all the collaterals of that. Just like these politicians, they're hiding all sorts of dirt. Every time it comes up, this one's a pedophile, this one is, has issues with animals. It, it comes out every day with these politicians. Every day. These are not people you want to emulate. Then they got you fighting left versus right. They all sleep together. Oh, the term politics makes strange bedfellows. They all sleep together. After you rallied for one and, and hated the other, you're really the fool. Let's not be like these people. The world is in crises. Again, we're on the brink of, of, of horrible things. 
the Ukrainian thing, if you if you care about Ukrainians, you, you'll be mad about that. If, if you care about Palestinians, you'll be mad about it. you care about Syrians, you'll be mad about that. You care about this or that. Whoever you care about is in trouble. That's what we all have in common. I may not give a shit about the people you care about. You may not give a shit about the people I care about. We share this earth together. And rotten stuff is rotten stuff. That's the, the burden of being human. So let's think about what works for us. Be honest about it. Don't wave flags and join causes you don't care about. I'm not going to be mad at you. You don't have to put a bumper stick on your car that says, save the poor starving people of Ukraine and uh, bomb the Palestinians. Or vice versa. Just be honest with yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that because if you're honest with yourself, you can govern yourself. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And the way I think about it, Z, I'll frame it a little bit differently. You have to know what works. To so start with something that works, then understand why it works, because that'll give you some knowledge about yourself. Then you can decide whether to own it or to change. And that's the governing part that you just talked about. And also, I'd like to say, in that self-ownership, when we have harmony of yin and yang in the world, that means you leave people alone. So certain weird things you do work for, you know, Pretty Tony and Jante and all them, they're into weird stuff. But what I like is they keep it to themselves. I don't have to join them, advocate for them. It doesn't have to disrupt my life. I can, I can run on the old people's uh, running team without worrying about some young people showing up and running on my team because it's the old people's running league. I can go swimming and I don't have to go up against um, Olympic swimmers um, or whatever. Um, I do compete in the girls' weightlifting team because I'm, I'm the gold medalist there. And uh, uh, that is nice to get the trophy and, and the little money. And I, I beat all the six-year-old girls, so that's that's the, I'm going to keep going. That it's a little dysfunctional, but I like winning. So um, let's just own ourselves. Let's just own ourselves, okay? If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.